Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 180. We're about due for a break in the action on this podcast. This is actually the last episode of this season, but it'll be a short hiatus just as we regroup and stockpile some content as we close out the off season and get ready for spring training, but certainly going to get a lot of good information together so that we can kick this off with a new season very soon. In the meantime, we have a great guest to wrap up this season. He's an awesome physical therapist I've had a chance to interact with quite a bit, whether it's co-managing patients slash athletes or just collaborating at continuing education events. And he's actually done a couple of uh, courses for our facility um, when he's been in town. So really insightful guy, exposed to a lot of different disciplines, and he's just got a really open-minded way to him that I think will benefit our entire audience. So we're in for a good one here. This episode is brought to you by AG1, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it can be difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can often wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where AG1 can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. That's why I use it daily, as do several of my family members, and we recommend it to a lot of our top athletes. One scoop of AG1 contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet to support energy, focus, digestion, and recovery. And this can all happen for less than $3 per day and without taking multiple products. While most nutritional supplements come to market and stay stagnant, AG1 continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing over 50 improvements in the last decade alone. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best tasting nutrition habit on the planet. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it'll work for you, and it contains less than one gram of sugar per serving. They put 75 ingredients to the rigorous NSF certification test to come up with a safe formula that's trusted by some of the world's top athletes, including many of our own at Cressy Sports Performance. Right now, AG1 is giving our listeners a special offer of 10 free travel packets with their first purchase. Just head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy and claim this special offer. These travel packets are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health while you're traveling for games, training, or simply on the go. They can be great counterbalance to the less than ideal on the road food options that are out there for a lot of our traveling baseball players. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance of getting nutrient diversity, head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy to get 10 free travel packets with your first purchase. Again, that's drinkag1.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. You won't regret it. Today's guest is a physical therapist and strength conditioning specialist with over 30 years of experience. He's overseen the rehabilitation and training of athletes from the NFL, MLB, WNBA, professional golf, and many local doctors and their families. He's specially trained and certified from the Titleist Performance Institute and Golf Digest as a golf medical and golf fitness professional. He has certifications from the National Strength and Conditioning Association, Functional Movement Screen, SFMA, FRR, FRC, USAW, On Base University, and many others. He enjoys sharing what he's learned as a guest speaker to physical therapy schools, professional and college sport teams, state farm insurance, local little leagues, and teaching his own course, Kettlebells for Clinicians. He's also an assistant instructor for a clinic and gym hybrid, the pain-free performance specialist certification, and for dynamic variable resistance training. As an athlete himself, in the last decade, he's medaled in powerlifting, summited Mount Rainier and other peaks, traversed the Grand Canyon, and completed the Seattle to Portland bike race in one day. Please welcome to the show, Dan Swinsko. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time. I am super excited about this. Happy to do it. And happy new year. We're recording this on the first. So that's um, right. Happy new year. No, no pressure to the rest of the guests for 2024. <laughs> this is gonna be a, a very tough act to I'm follow. the leadoff hitter. I'm ready to go. 
I like you're going to see a lot of pitches and make sure you give feedback to the rest of the crew on what's coming. That's right. Um, so, hey, man, I, I know you and we've had some awesome dialogues. You've done some some in-services for our staff, which were super well received. Um, and I think it'll lead to some of my other questions. But maybe for those who don't know you as well, um, maybe talk a little bit about your path to to now, what you're doing in the physical therapy space and, and the strength and conditioning space for that matter. Yeah, okay. So uh, physical therapist for <laughs> 33 years now. Hard to imagine. Um, I've been a guy that uh, has always been interested in in sports. You know that old saying, the those who can do, and then those who can't work with those who can. <laughs> and so um, I was not blessed with those kinds of physical gifts to go too far in into sports. Um, but I find them super interesting. And so I wanted to make a living in that somehow. And um, I was a physical therapist to begin. And I wanted to find a way to make myself more attractive to an athletic clientele, to be more skilled with an athletic clientele. So I went and got a CSCS, which started me realizing, despite kind of the culture of PT school, you can learn so much from strength and conditioning folks. I mean, like yourself. And it's sad that in PT school, that culture wasn't really there. Like you're going to learn from a PT or an MD. You're certainly not going to learn from a chiropractor or a massage therapist or, you know, personal trainer. I've learned tons from all of them, right? And continue to. Um, and so since I, I got the CSCS, um, learning more about movement um, has kind of directed my career uh, early on, in my opinion, and the, the people who influenced me, the really good physical therapists had pristine manual therapy skills. So I, 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 I went down those rabbit holes to establish um, really good manual therapy skills. But the reality is, if you're not better at assessment, you're going to apply a manual therapy to solution to something that isn't really a manual therapy problem. And when you, the more you learn with movement, the, the more people you can help. So um, I've just always been a movement junkie, but since I got my CSCS back in 94, um, it's, it's, I've been really interested in exercise and movement and helping athletes of all kinds, um, which made me want to try to be one a little bit more doing different things on my own. Um, and, uh, had a, a great career and, uh, a great business with some great colleagues in Seattle, um, for roughly 31 years and, uh, sold my practice and moved here to Scottsdale. And so, so now I'm here and uh, working primarily, you know, with, uh, well, I shouldn't say primarily, I work with a lot of baseball players and golfers, but I see anyone. Um, but it's, uh, it's really fun. I find uh, those to be the most interesting sports to have to work with because they're complicated. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember a long time ago being influenced by uh, Gary Gray and uh, PT from Michigan. He's probably watching the game right now. And so, uh, um, he he gave an example of a baseball player that wasn't getting better and somehow they consulted him and he was the first person to look at the ankle on the lead leg when the guy was coming through he's a right-handed pitcher at a, a left ankle sprain and no one asked him about it and and he pointed out that you look funny on that ankle what's wrong with your ankle oh well i was playing pickup basketball in the driveway and kind of twisted it but you know it's my arm that hurts right and uh then that's kind of opened my eyes like, wow, something from way over there can influence something way over here. That's interesting. And so uh, that's just kind of got me going down the path of baseball. And so I've, I've been in love with it ever since. When I was a kid, I didn't play it. When I was a kid, um, my family said it's summer vacation. We camp. <laughs> so I was never home. So I was out in the woods. And so um, never got the opportunity to play. But uh, once I started learning, it fell in love. And uh, I'm involved in the way that I can. You know, one of the things you you kind of told me offline recently, um, you know, you relocated to Scottsdale not too long ago. And, and you know, one of the reasons was to work with more baseball players. And you commented on how your, your practice, you know, was largely little league, middle school, high school, uh, you know, athletes, you know, and some pro guys up in, in Scottsdale. And then it's it's virtually flipped um, as you excuse me in Seattle and it's virtually in flipped Seattle, as you've gone yeah. to, to Scottsdale mm -hmm. and you know you, you don't see nearly as many younger guys now and you're seeing many many you know more advanced players or you know not necessarily just advanced but more injured people have a lot more mileage on their arms and mm -hmm. you know and hips and all that stuff so I, I'm curious um, you know 
what do you make of that? You know, and I, and I mean, that's a, that's a very broad question, but you know, what are the differences that you've seen? How have things changed, you know, since you started, you know, seeing these players, you know, presumably in the nineties and, you know, here we are now where, you know, this is a, a dramatically different kind of caliber of injury, expansiveness of injuries that we're seeing. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a good question. I guess, obviously they're, you know, you're, you're dealing with men, right. Instead of kids. So, you know, at literally every baseball player I've worked with since I moved to Scottsdale has been a pro player at one level or, or another. I haven't even had a college kid. Um, I've had some college softball players, but n- not any college baseball players. They've all been um, at the pro level. So it's really interesting talking to them, almost like giving them big brotherly advice about how to manage things. Like, when, as you know, when you have kids, <laughs> how things change and all of a sudden time management is different and you don't get any sleep. And how do you do this? And how do you do that? And you start having those conversations as opposed to, I'm sorry, your coach told you that you had to do X, Y, Z. You really don't um, give your coach my information. Let me be the bad guy and I'll explain, you know, things like that. Or, um, you know, when I see little league kids, it's really fun to kind of coach them up. Um, and I'm not doing that to a big league player, right? So uh, that's a whole different animal that just the conversations are so wildly different. So, you know, even though they're um, obviously playing the same sport, it's just so different when they're grown men with grown men issues. And like you said, they've got other stuff, you know, usually when you see, you know, that that 12 year old is just pitching, you know, for his maybe a year and a half, two years, and he's having some sort of elbow pain, you know, almost every time I tell those kids, you know, really what you are is you're a Ferrari with bad brakes. You know, they're, they're developing power. They have no control. They're kind of like a baby giraffe, just angles everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. they just don't control it very well. Whereas with an adult player, um, however, they're, 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 they're throwing, they're throwing style. That's what's best for them. I'm making zero commentary about that. Other than that, if this is the way you throw, this is the cost of doing business. We're going to want to emphasize, you know, certain things because of how their throwing style might be. Um, but I'm, I'm Lord knows I'm not going to talk to them at all about trying to change it. You know, I'm not qualified to do that, nor would they have any interest in hearing it. Um, but it's just different. It's kind of like talking to a kid versus talking to an adult, it's just yeah. totally different animal about how to, you know, if the coach is being a jerk and they're they're playing them all the time and say, you know what, I need to talk to your parent and we're going to give your parent a little clicker and they're going to have a pitch count, you know, and, you know, if you're pitching in little league and you're pitching in a club team and now you're pitching 400, you know, pitches a week, that maybe that's a bit much. <laughs> no, we gotta, we gotta talk about that. Right. And, and um, what is always interesting too, is with the young ones, the only kids that get hurt are the ones that are good. Because those are the ones that the coaches are interested in overusing because they get the results that makes the coach happy, right? The kid that's not that good at pitching is never going to get overused. Yeah, absolutely. Are you um, surprised now seeing these pro guys like, let's be real, they're all broken, right? You know, we have have research on, you know, American and Japanese 12-year-old MRIs, like none of the elbows are clean anymore. Like we're seeing a, a general trend towards everybody being broken at a young age. So by the time these guys get to 25, 26 and they're throwing 95 plus very consistently, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of playing with fire with every single pitch. D- did that element surprise you when you started looking at, cause we both know, like you, you see this 12 year old and it's, Hey, it's a little league elbow, take 12 weeks off, go play basketball, do PT twice a week, and you'll be good to go next season. Right. It's very yeah. different once we get to these higher levels where, you know, some of these things are much, much more challenging cases. Yeah, for sure. I think, and you were actually were the first person that, that brought this to my attention, starting to quote research of asymptomatic findings on MRIs. Yeah. And so, you know, someone would say, oh gosh, you know, my arm hurts and it says I've got to fill in the blank, you know, to the elbow or the shoulder, whatever it might be. I'm like, all right, but you can still do this, this, and this. So what if we fix your function instead of worrying about what tissue is damaged so much and just understand what are the mechanisms that led to that throughout the entirety of the kinetic chain? And let's fix the things that we can fix, enhance the things we can advance and just see how much better we get you. And so often they do great. I remember working with a guy not long ago. He's um, he's in the Dominican right now, but he was um, supposed to be signed by one of the American League teams and they turned him down because they found a rotator cuff tear. I'm like, you're playing catch with me. And you throwing, when they threw a bullpen, you threw in the 90s. I'm like, what do they want from you? Yeah, but they're concerned he has cuff tear. I'm like, tell them to MRI all their players. See how many other ones that they have on a on a contract right now have a cuff tear. But they wanted to sign him. And then last minute, they're the 
you know this better than me, one side of the team has certain responsibilities and, and the other side of the team, and these two just couldn't agree. So they, they brought him into Simon, turned out not to, not to sign him just because he had a cuff tear and he's thrown up to 98 miles an hour this year on, in the Dominican doing fine. And so, uh, I'm excited. It's a very medical, medical grading is inherently complex, you know, challenge. It's a, it's, it's quite literally a billion dollar problem. You know, it's a, it's, right. it's that kind of question because, yeah. you know, pitching is, uh, is very, uh, very fragile, shall we say. Um, so maybe switching gears a little bit, let's, let's talk yeah. about golfers and baseball players. Cause I know one of the reasons for the move to Scottsdale was to work more with these two populations on, on top of getting away from some of the Seattle weather, I think. Oh man, um, it's so much better. I don't want to, I don't want to poop on Seattle, but I'm so happy here. Um, so what is it about golfers and baseball players that that's intrigued you so much over the course of the year? And maybe after you've answered that question, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, how they're similar, how they're different. Yeah. I just, it's just golf is something so golf is the one thing that my dad would do with me when I was a kid. So my dad wasn't one of those dads that would say, hey, let's go play catch in the backyard or whatever. But he he tolerated me at the golf course. And then when I got <laughs> older, I could play with him. And so that was kind of the one thing I could do with my dad. And so I've been playing, you know, I'm not a particularly good golfer by, you know, standards that <laughs> would ever put me on a tour mm -hmm. or anything. Um, but I love the sport. I find it lots of fun. Um and it's again, it's complicated. So I like it. Um, there's just so many moving parts and there's so very often there's things far away from the spot that hurts. That's the reason why that spot hurts. And so um, I find that fun to work on and help people solve that puzzle and let them know that the reason their back hurts is because their other shoulder doesn't externally rotate very well or whatever, you know, and and help them understand why those things happen and then bring that in and then um, help them. And then um, the team effort you know, not having been able to wear a uniform and be on a team at any significant level. Um, when you get to be a teammate in this way, to be the person who conditions the athlete or rehabilitates or what have you, um, to be able to call, you know, the coach um, or the the swing coach or whoever and say, hey, um, there, there's something about his body that's leading to these things. And so um, how do you feel about me working on improving that? Is this something that you've seen that you've had a problem with? Oh my God. Yeah. I've been working that forever. Well, I think there's a physical reason for that. So um, we're going to change some things. And then once he can do that, I think you'll find that um, he'll pick up on your drills a little bit better, you know, just being part of the team and to be able to interact with the, the, the teaching pros and stuff like that is pretty cool. I love that. It's a chance to, you know, I, I joke, I, I spend a lot of time trying to be the dumbest person in the room more often these days. You know, Absolutely. When you're young, you want to be the smartest person, you know, it excites you to teach and all that. And that, that's still fun. But um, I think you're just trying to find, you know, opportunities to collaborate with other people and pick up little things. But um, talking about baseball versus golf, you know, and, and I've done this as well. Um, you know, I've actually gotten a, a ton more baseball than golf, but we actually do get quite a bit, especially being located in Jupiter. Florida. Long Beach Gardens. <laughs> um, yeah. I think at one point Jupiter had six of the top 10 golfers in the world living here. But, um, you know, in your opinion, are these two markedly different fish to fry? Like, are there, or are there certain, you know, are there certain distinctions between the two in terms of how you treat them? And, you know, are there certain commonalities between the two that you think are vitally important considerations? Well, I think from a movement point of view, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, cross-body patterns, you know, and, you know, you have a trail side, you have a lead side, you load into one, you transfer energy, you come through, right? And so I think there's there's more similar than different. Mm -hmm. I think the difference to me is, at least in my practice, when I see a golfer, there may or may not be any level of fitness. But when I see a baseball player, there's always a base level of fitness. Yeah. And there's always a history of training, where in the, the golfer, I might be showing you know, um, well, like as an example, I worked with a, um, what's the name of the tour? Corn Ferry, a Corn Ferry tour player, um, not that long ago. And I'm, and I'm teaching him how to hinge. So he'd not deadlifted before, or I take that back. He deadlifted in college, but everybody just sort of did it. Nobody really taught it to him. Yeah. So he wasn't really very clean and he didn't like him because they hurt his back. Big surprise. So we clean that up and help him start to do that. And, um, with golfers, I find that I teach movement at a much more fundamental level because they haven't as a rule had that experience whereas with the baseball players a lot of them it seems by and large have been around some a lot more training and have a, a much higher level of fitness to start um but i find that the commonalities obviously is just the getting them ability to 
create potential energy and then drive through. So again, having the, the concept of trail side, lead side and um, working through, you know, I learned it is the Serape effect and then mm -hmm. cross body pattern. And then, you know, the, with Thomas Myers, the line, you know, spiral line and mm -hmm. um, whatever people call them as slings, you know, whatever the term, but getting the, the understanding that the athlete has to use their arm through their core into their leg on the opposite side, um, both anteriorly and posteriorly. Um, there, there's the com most common, I think for me, link between the two. I think they're very common in that way. A lot of the exercises that the guys do, um, look a lot alike. There's some, you know, obviously it's different between holding a club and holding a ball. Um, but a, a lot of the things are the same. I think you made a really good point on just like the foundation level of athleticism. Um, you know, what, what both sports I think have in common that fascinates me is just some of these guys are successful because of characteristics and traits more so than just athleticism. Yeah. Um, you know, having seen some pretty high level golfers where, you know, they, they kind of just, they kind of just work out. They just do some like low key fitness <laughs> right. stuff, like, you know, not a whole lot. And then they just have an incredible short game or they're, you know, they're really good with their irons or something like that. Like the assumption is like all these guys are just long drive masters and, you know, the equivalent of throwing hundred miles an hour. And, you know, there, there's a lot of guys that are throwing knuckleballs or soft throwing <laughs> lefties, you know, whatever the equivalent of this for uh for that on the pga tour right um and i think you have to be careful about like trying to impose your will of, of making them into beast athletes because sometimes it can take away exactly what makes them good so you have to sometimes, special, yeah. yeah sometimes proceed delicately with some of those folks that have a very you know underwhelming foundation of fitness um but maybe let, maybe let's let's use that to to lead into the next question is like okay. what are the key considerations across all sports you know starting with assessment like maybe talk a little bit about your assessment process assessment. when you get a new athlete slash patient. So if I've got somebody who's in pain, um, I think the most important part of the assessment is just, I pepper them with questions <laughs> and um, I, I have them kind of go back to the way back machine. I'll have an adult. Like if I'm, if you came in saying, yeah, I got a little shoulder thing. I'm talking to you about when you were playing tennis or swimming or anything from back in your past. And um, because oftentimes there's the one thing and then there's the next thing. You know, I, I once wrote an article called last year's ankle is this year's knee. And <laughs> so I just think there's just so many things that people don't equate that would have gone through. So one of the things that's changed with me over time is, is how much more time I spend asking questions. And I, I got this from one of my TPI trainings. It was very funny. Um, Greg Rose did it with one of the attendees. So this is a, this was like our, it, I think it was level three medical, which is the highest one they have at TPI. And he was talking about doing a subjective exam and, and asking questions. And he said, tell you what, let me have somebody as an example. Just, hey, what's your name? And the guy told him his name. And do you have anything that hurts? Actually, I got a thing. So he told him about his thing, whatever it was. And he goes, okay, so that's it? Yep, that's it. And then Greg goes, what about your feet? Tell me about your feet. You, your toes feel okay? Do you ever have plantar fat? Oh, yeah. I've got, actually, I wear a thought. Oh, okay. And then, and then he just goes through and he started methodically from feet up and ask very specific questions about every body part. And this guy who said he just had this one thing had lots of things, but because he didn't remember without being cued or he didn't think they were related, he didn't share those things. And I find that with patients all the time. Um, I think, you know, you, you go to a PT clinic and there's this stack of paper your first day and you're just like, shit, I, I just want to get through this. Can I please just see the physical therapist and get started, you know? So they just, like anybody, streamline and they tell you what they think is important. But then when you circle back around and say, okay, this is your health history. Yeah. Okay. And you ask them a bunch of questions, then tell me about your feet. Tell me, do you wear orthotics? Have you ever worn orthotics? And then you start working your web and you find out all kinds of stuff they never told you about. Yeah. It's amazing. So I think part of the assessment um, more so than before is just being better at asking questions and taking the time to do that, seeing the value. Um, if you're in pain, we're going to do an SFMA and do that with everybody. Um, when you're not in pain, um, I'll probably do an SFMA on you anyway, because I just like it's quick. And if you're not in pain, theoretically, it'll be faster and not see so much. But oftentimes people say they're feeling okay. They just want to, you know, say they come in, they want to hit the ball further. They, you know, whatever it might be. And, and for those listening, just to clarify, SFMA is selective functional movement assessment. Basically, you score every screen as either functional or dysfunctional and painful or non-painful. Thank you. Sorry about that. It's all good. And so you go through and basically there's just check boxes, right? I just yeah. tell them, I just want you to meet a norm. And if they don't meet a norm, I say, you know, it's okay. Um, it's kind of like going through high school. 
you don't have to graduate high school to have a great life. You just made it harder on yourself. You don't have to be able to touch your toes to have a great life. You're just making it harder on yourself. So we have certain standards. And and so we go through those and try to meet those standards. So I'll do that because it's usually pretty quick. Um, Gives me information oftentimes, even though they're not hurting. Um, I'll do the Y balance test a lot. Um, especially the lower body white balance test, which is for those who don't know, um, it got its name because it looks like a capital letter Y on the ground. And you're standing in the middle of where those three things would come together like that. And you reach your foot forward, you reach your, your foot, you're standing on one foot and reaching with the other forward or kind of diagonally behind you across like a curtsy or diagonally across the other way, opening up. Um, and it just gives you an opportunity to see how well does this person control their own body weight through space and all three planes of motion. And it gives us the opportunity to see how well those two sides compare because they should be relatively matchy matchy. They don't have to be identical, but they need to be close. And then if they match, then you can take a measurement and give context. So if my la- my reaches were identical on both sides, they match perfectly, were they perfectly good? or bad, or average, or what were they, right? So then you have that context. And so um, I'm a big fan of that. I find that gives information really well, and it gives a ton of buy-in. You cannot fail that and not know. So um, you can do great and not know, but you can't fail and not know. The um, People really struggle if they can't do it, and they know, so you get ownership and buy-in right away. Um, I use the functional movement screen. If the person is just cruising through all that, uh, I'll do the fundamental capacity screen as well. Um, I'll do some things on my own, like just simply, I like looking at people lunge. I just lunge it, you know, forward and backward, forward and backward, forward and backward, just keep doing it and just see how well they control um, when their body weight's accelerating and decelerating back and forth. I'll have people do like, if they're capable, um, a side plank, if they're really good at that, I'll have them do a side plank leg lift and just kind of do this gross frontal plane assessment of how well they can control body weight that way. Um if they have the skill, I oftentimes ask them, do you know how to do a Turkish get up? Um, and if they have that skill, I say, you know, what can you do on your left side? What can you do on your right side? Um, and if they train that and they know, and they've got a big asymmetry, you know, they can go 24 kilos on one and only 18 kilos on the other. I'm like, all right, we got an issue here. Let's watch, go do a Turkish get up for me. Let's watch. Um, so you can turn kind of, I'm a firm believer. You can turn any movement into an assessment. So it just kind of depends on what they're asking me for. Um, but I pretty much start everybody with an SFMA. And then uh, build out from there and just kind of kind of like what you're doing with conversation. Somebody gives you an answer and then you kind of might divert you this way or might divert you that way. And obviously I'll do special tests and get them on a table and do all those orthopedic kinds of things on an as needed basis. But um, that's kind of how it rolls from there. I like it. And, you know, SFMA is a a great course. I definitely recommend it to anybody. And, you know, one of the things I I took away from that course that, you know, and you even hinted at it is, without even realizing it, if you go through a lot of those checklists, you're actually getting an algorithm for approaching things. If you go and you circle all the DNs, the dysfunctional, non-painful patterns, usually you go and you clean those things up. You clean up a you know limited thoracic rotation, you clean up some cervical stuff, and good things seem to happen. Um, a lot of times those dysfunctional, painful ones get a lot better. They get they get you know more asymptomatic. I love that. And then also the um the the preliminary questions, like I I can't you know, put an exclamation point on it anymore. Just that was something I don't think I did really well early in my career. You just assumed everybody filled out the health history <laughs> thorough. But, um, you know, the one that they they never list all their medications, the glaze over that one, you look at like things like Accutane and obviously in the fitness world, looking at, you know, beta blockers, anything like that can, you know, have an impact on the way that on exercise. You know, the, the thing that's been the most impactful for me is um, I always make sure I review notes before I start the assessment. And I think that can sometimes be a thing that people don't do. I want to walk in prepared, but at least have like a little bit of an awareness so I can ask better questions. So I've, I've actually counseled our administrative staff at the facility to, you know, get as much information as possible when they go in the Google calendar, make sure it's all in there tell them to bring radiology reports, everything they possibly have so that we can hit the ground running. It just yep. it makes such a more complete picture. And I, and I find it improves the buy-in from the the individual in front of you. They realize that, hey, he cared to spend, you know, eight to 10 minutes going into this to review this, you know, or look at my data if I'm a pitcher or something like that. So I, I do with the, that. with the athletes, I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. with the athletes that I see, almost all of them have something on YouTube. Yeah. So if I've got a pitcher coming to see me, I put his name into YouTube, And I'm looking at his form and I'm like, okay, I can see where our stress points are going to be. And they're always impressed by that because it shows that you care, right? And I remember I had a softball player wrote me a very nice Google review, the five-star thing, you know, 
Um, and it blew her away that I had watched her on, on video before she had gotten there. Yeah. Uh, but it I goes, think it's important. It goes a long way. It's just that opportunity to show that you care. Um, sure. You know, when we actually get to program design, coaching, and we talked about how the assessment can be very uniform across sports. You just might see different tendencies. But what about the actual programming side of things? What are What are some things that we need to use? regardless of whether we're dealing with baseball players, golfers, or, or really anybody out there? What's what's universal across all your offerings? I think really fundamental stuff, like there's three planes of motion. We need to be stable and strong in all three. Mm-hmm. And most people are really good in one. <laughs> I, I always tell that uh, whenever I had interns in, I said, if you just blindly give everybody frontal plane and transverse plane strengthening, you're probably going to help everybody. You don't even need to do an assessment. Of course, you have to do an assessment, but it <laughs> seems like that because it's just no one like I do my curls, I do my bench press, I do my squat, my lunges. Sometimes I run, you know, everything sagittal plane all day mm-hmm. and people don't really get that. And so um, I think just being mindful that there are three planes of motion and making sure that they can demonstrate strength and stability um, across to not just accelerate, but also decelerate and stabilize against. I just, you know, there's eccentric, concentric and isometric. I want to see your ability to be good at those in all three planes in all four limbs um, and cross body patterns. I think between being mindful about all three planes of motion and being mindful about cross body patterns and not, you know, OK, I'm going to do something i'm gonna do a pull pattern so i'm not just gonna sit on a row machine and just pull maybe i'll hinge have a sprinter stance or at least that's what i call it a 1.5 kickstand whatever you prefer to call it so now i've got way more body weight on one leg than the other and i've got the rowing weight in a contralateral side and i'm hinged or with a pulley and doing that you know i call them punch turns and saw turns i think you have a different name for them but same kind of a thing just these types of concepts where your arm and your leg are both working and they're having to communicate through your core um, diagonally from one side to the other with an anterior emphasis as well as with a posterior emphasis um, is in everybody's program unless you're a bodybuilder um, because then that everything's different if you're a bodybuilder and I think most people train like they are when they're not and I don't think most people recognize how very specific that definition is and so I make a point of saying, you know, you're training like you're a bodybuilder. And I, just so you know, that means you're going to take your clothes off and pose for a judge. Are you doing <laughs> that? No. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's train more functionally. and Let's t- l- teach your arm how to connect into your leg on the other side and so on. I love that. We interrupt this podcast with a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by AG1. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement that features 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily myself and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to drinkag1.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer of 10 free travel packets with your first purchase. AG1 gives you peace of mind that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's drinkag1.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you'll get that special offer. You know, and and one of the things that I know you've had a, a lot of students over the years, people you've mentored, your, your own daughter actually is a physical therapist too. That's right. You know, it's probably your prized protege. You know, what are the things that are, are key bits of advice, you know, that you would want to impart on young coaches who are trying to learn, right, you know, how to write good programs? Because we both know it's much more of a, an art than a science sometimes. Sure. Um, I think you offered some really good tidbits there, but I'm, I'm curious if there are any like uh, quick and dirty strategy that you think would be really helpful for the you know, well, 27 think, um, year old rising somewhere along the line. I remember hearing Mike Boyle get asked that same question. He said, just copy somebody good, you know, <laughs> copy Eric Cressy, you know, um, you have plenty of stuff out there, um, but find somebody, you know, like a Mike Boyle, like an Eric Cressy um, and, and copy their stuff and just try to see the logic behind it. Um, I think again, just if I'm beginning, you just have to say, okay, what are the goals? You know, that's kind of like um, a Dan John thing. Make sure the goal is the goal, right? And mm-hmm. so um, you might love kettlebells, but the person in front of you may not. Um, you may love barbell and Olympic lifts. The person in front of you may not. Um, try to remember that it's about them, not about you. Mm-hmm. And that's their training, not your training. And so um, if you just remember it's about them and, and get some ideas of what the goal is. And then in the blend of that, you know, like as a personal trainer, I've got a couple of clients that I'm basically their personal trainer. Everything feels fine. They came to see me because of an ache or a pain, but I help them move better, right? I'm not just trying to change their pain. I'm trying to move better. And they just loved it. And like, can I keep seeing you? I'm like, 
sure you can. You know, I'm outside the world of insurance, so we can do whatever we want. Uh, and so I, I trained some people. And so it's kind of like, you know, a, as a parent, your kids want ice cream, but you know, they have to have their meat and vegetables too. And so they might want to do some curls, which may not be the world's most valuable exercise, but there's nothing wrong with it. We just yeah. don't want to have a ton of emphasis there. Right. So, um, if, if you know, there's an exercise the person loves, whether it's a, you know, it's usually a guy and it's usually a bench or a curl <laughs> no one else seems to care. Right. Um, stereotypically, um, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with those things. Just make sure that you're addressing with your programming, whatever it is they came to see you for in the first place. And so I just think, make sure that the goal is the goal. Make sure you remember that um, even if they are a bodybuilder, I had a guy that was kind of fun to treat. He was a bodybuilder five, six, seven years ago, a couple of years before COVID. And he was a bodybuilder, but he got hurt putting out the trash. The guy is like, you and I combined, you know, he's just this giant muscular dude with nobody. I mean, he looks the part, right? He's very good at, and he got hurt doing an ordinary thing with an amount of weight that was probably less than an empty bar. And I said, well, here's the thing. Maybe we should start training these things to work together. So even people who are competitive bodybuilders, the other 23 hours of the day, they're people and they have jobs and they have lives. And um, I even have those people train functionally. And I just tell them, these are just going to be the best accessory exercises you haven't done before. Right. And just kind of treat it like that. But um, I think if the goal is the goal, you remember, we have three planes of motion for everybody. We've got cross body patterns for everybody uh, and copy the people that, you know, are experts in the field. You, you're, you'll do pretty okay. I think. Yeah. You know, and then really I guess the one other thing I would say is train for something. I cannot believe how valuable it was for me to just, just by the, the whim, I decided, you know what, I'm going to do a powerlifting contest. I'm going to enroll. So I, I uh, in, went into a, a powerlifting competition and the amount that I learned was incredible. Um, and so just train for something, you know, train for a kettlebell cert or any cert. Um, I've had two different certs in Olympic lifting. I'm not an avid Olympic lifter, but I think it's really important to get better overhead positioning. And I think it's very important to learn how to drop down into a squat. Uh, and so if you want to really get good at overhead position and you want to get really good at squatting, those are a common denominator of Olympic lifters. Yeah. And uh, so I've had two different certifications in those. And just even though I have, I've seen people who Olympic lift, they're CrossFitters, not Olympic lifters. Um, but it's useful all the time what I learned in those things. Plus, it's kind of fun every once in a while. I love that. You know, the other thing I would add is, um, and those are all great points. I would just say, um, recognize where the biggest window of adaptation is. I think we, mm -hmm. you know, we lose so that, and where we see it the most is, uh, you know, you know, like we've been around it, right? You, if you really, really lock in on powerlifting for three to four years, you can be top five percent in the world and people who compete in powerlifting, right? Like I, I did it myself. I was not naturally blessed. I just kept showing up because I had, you know, nothing better to do in my early twenties than lift heavy. You got over six, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, I did. So it's, I mean, I, you know, I was un underwhelming as an athlete, right? I was a, a <laughs> potentially a D2 tennis player coming out of high school. But, you know, the, the takeaway from that is that that strength is actually really easy to build if, if you show up regularly. The, the problem is learning how to use that force, uh, can, you know, quickly, transferring it to athletic movements, all that stuff. So, you know, it's very easy just to keep training the things that you like, when in reality, you need to look for what those bigger windows adaptation are that you can really develop. You know, what's the lowest hanging fruit for, for lack yep. of a, you know, better hackneyed expression, but um, shifting gears a little bit, we, we, we've conversed for years. And one of the things I really like about you is that you're very rehab agnostic, right? You've done, you've done two separate in-service for our crew. One was an awesome one on kettlebells. And then you also did a fantastic one on um, on sandbags. You know, they're probably three years apart, give or take, um, in two different facilities, right? One was in Jupiter, <laughs> one was in Palm Beach Gardens. You know, so you use a lot of different methods. And, and I don't feel like I've ever seen you become like a zealot for one thing. And I, I respect that a lot in industry where, Thank you. you know, people pick a new acronym and sell out for it. And then five years later, they're on something different. Right. What are the tools that are in your toolbox? And, and you know, maybe bigger picture, why is it so important to have more than one? Mm. Uh, the bigger picture thing, you know, the, the old saying, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there's going to be some people that fit that to a T, but then there's everybody else. And so, you know, the, the benefit of being in the game for as long as I have is it gives you the opportunity to learn how to be a hammer and then learn how to be a screwdriver and then a Phillips head screwdriver and then that little star head screwdriver <laughs> and then a saw. 
and then so on. And you just keep working your way through. So, you know, there were times when I was young in my career that certain things like I'd see the schedule coming up and Joe Blow's coming in and he had, you know, a hip problem like, oh, hip, I have to remember my hip stuff, you know, or whatever. And it was stressful. And I'm I'm happy to see anybody for anything now. And I could see somebody five minutes from now and feel prepared um, because I've done one thing for 33 years. And so, you know, it, it's kind of hard to surprise me. It's not that it doesn't happen. And I certainly don't know everything. Um, but it's it's nice to feel when you have multiple things that it doesn't matter who walks in, that you feel confident you can help them. You know, I had, I'm going to, I don't mean to poop on the McKinsey protocol for those who know what it is, but there's, I had an employee um, before I owned my own practice, I was managing one. And she was a McKenzie therapist and it, everybody was in extension all day. There was no concept of multiple planes of motion. Just everything was extension. And McKenzie works remarkably well for a really finite type of a disc bulge problem. And she was kind of lost when it wasn't that. And so, um, you know, it, it, talk about learning as you go. That was the first time I ever managed anything. And she was a PT with 10 years of experience and she wanted to work nights and weekends. I'm like, hired. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care about anything else. And um, I, I wish I took more time um, thinking about what she's going to do. And like, what if one of my patients saw her on a Saturday, how much would that grind their gears? Or, you know, if a doctor in town wanted treatment from her, what would that doctor think? And, you know, that's a referral relationship. That's a very important opinion, you know, and um, it's, it's just, if you have one thing, like you said, if you kind of become a zealot, you'll be really good with very few people. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to be good with anybody who happens to come in, but um, also I've, I've taken my licks enough that I'm also very comfortable referring out if someone doesn't match with me, um, or if I'm not getting results that I thought I would get, because I've done this long enough that if I'm right, the results are fast. And if the results aren't there, I'm like, well, I thought it was this, let's recalculate, do something else. That's not better. Maybe this, that's not better, man. We got, we, we got to refer out. I'm not going to mess around and waste anybody's time if I'm not helping them. So I, I love that. That's that gets glazed that. over a lot, you know, in, in the discussions of, you know, complex approaches and everybody wanted to learn is the importance of just asking for help when you need it sometimes. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's one of the the best answers to this next question is let, let's talk about some of the common mistakes that we see in the physical therapy community. Maybe the, you know, the, the therapy community at large, but then also maybe specific to the baseball population that we're, we're talking about. All right. Um, therapy community at large, I think um, without question, it would be all the attention goes to wherever the person says it hurts. It hurts right here. Oh, let's rub there. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, no one shouldn't say no one. It is sadly uncommon um, to do a thorough evaluation of the entire body on someone who has a, um, some random ache or pain. Now, if they had surgery, obviously that's not important early on. It would be important late because you still want them to recover and be whole. But the vast majority of people who come in, they don't have a good story. They're just saying, I was doing my thing and something hurts now, right? Yeah. I was mowing the lawn. I was hiking. I was lifting. I was doing pull-ups. I was whatever. Things that people, throwing a baseball, mm -hmm. people that, things that are ordinary activities for these folks. So they really don't know why, which I always tell them, having no reason is probably the most common reason. It's also my favorite because that means the answer is right here in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm any good at what I do, we should be able to find the reason why this is happening and therefore... Uh, start making some changes. So I think that the the biggest mistake to me, and and maybe it's because the majority of my my peers and colleagues um, work in an insurance model where they've got fifteen minutes mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, it's it's that's quick and it takes time when someone's right shoulder is why their back hurts when they golf to explain that to them, mm -hmm. and it takes time to do the assessment to figure that out in the first place. But it's pretty quick and easy to say, oh, it's your shoulder. Here's some bands and do some exercises that have an extremely low value, in my opinion, but um, are commonly used. And so I just think that um, across our profession, it's too much. It, it hurts here. Rub here. Um, put the electrical stim here. Put the yeah. laser there. Put the whatever. And I'm not saying there's no value in that, but I think it's overvalued far. And so um, I think 
as our profession, it would be really cool if people take the time and look at the whole body. And then I think you find also people come in like everybody's broken. (laughs) You find the other stuff. And so, um, you know, someone comes in for whatever and I do the SFMA and one of the things, you know, they got to really, they can't reach overhead. I'm like, what's up with that shoulder? Oh, I forgot to tell you I had rotator cuff surgery last year, but it really doesn't (laughs) hurt that much anymore. It doesn't hurt that much. So does that mean it hurts a little bit? Well, yeah, but it's only been a year. Like it shouldn't Mm -hmm. hurt. Well, the doctor said sometimes it takes you years. I'm like, okay, let's understand the game that's being played right now. Um, you have a shoulder that, you know, a year after your repair shouldn't hurt. So why don't we work on your shoulder and your knee at the same time? And because we're going to treat you as a person anyway, not a body part. Um, so I think treat treat the whole person. And then from a baseball point of view, um, every year it's the same thing. It just, you know, if I could use this platform when it's the end of the season and your arm hurts or any time, I guess, when your arm hurts throwing. And you're advised to shut it down. Don't shut it down. <laughs> you know, like do nothing for a month. Okay, I'm a month older. Now what? And you know that that if if someone is hurting and we're given a month of them not throwing and work on everything else, we can make enormous change. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, especially with the young guys, the you know the the little league and the high school and maybe even some college, depending on their physical maturity and and training age, but. They come through on way more. I had a great re- a referral relationship with a pitching coach in Washington because he said, every time I send someone to you, you say you bring them back to me throwing harder. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's it's because I treated the whole body. And so um, shutting it down is not maybe shutting it down from throwing, but not shutting yeah. down from everything we want to do. I tell people we want specific rest, not total rest. So specific rest is avoiding the provocative activity that hurts the body part in yeah. question but it doesn't mean you can't like if it's your elbow it doesn't mean you can't sprint it doesn't mean you can't train on some aspects about your self that we saw through our exam that more than likely led to why your elbow is getting excessive stress when you're throwing a baseball mm-hmm. right why don't we correct those things so when we have clearance to start throwing again we have a, a much better environment you know we have fertile soil um you can't grow seeds on the sidewalk no matter how many times you water <laughs> Right. You just got to have get the everything else in place. And so it just drives me bananas that someone, you know, I get a a parent call me in in January. You know, my son's starting to throw again and it's hurting. And um, he was hurting in August when he was trying out for his summer team. And uh, the doc said, just shut it down. So he did. And so from August to January, he didn't do anything. He's starting to throw. uh, And lo and behold, it's hurting. And now we have a time crunch where before we had all the time in the world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a huge problem. And the other thing is like building on that is most of the time, you know, we're dealing with mechanical pain with throwing, right? You know, if right. you look at typical injury mechanism, right? Valgus stress and, you know, peel back mechanism at the shoulder for internal right. impingement, like short of putting a back squat on somebody, it's really hard to provoke an elbow and a shoulder in a baseball specific <laughs> way in the weight room. Um, there's actually a ton of stuff you can do that, you know, that, that'll lead to some really favorable outcomes. Without for sure. Back. That's a great way to say um, it. There's things we can do to lead to favorable yeah. outcomes. So those those are good questions I think that folks can ask of their physical therapist or, or certainly identify, you know, if you're going through an assessment and they're just staring at an elbow the whole time and not checking a neck and a shoulder and trunk and all that stuff. Thanks. What, what's, what are your some advice that you would have for folks that are listening who are looking to find a good physical therapist? Where should they look? What questions should they ask? Okay. Um, I'm not sure about, well, the questions you ask kind of depends on whom, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, when someone tells me about their friend in, you know, four states away and mm-hmm. too bad that doesn't live here. I'd love him to see you. Da, da, da. Is there anybody, you know, down there? Mm-hmm. And so I ask, you know, like you, you develop a network through the years, okay. I ask everybody. And if nobody knows anybody, then where I go, I go to functionalmovement.com, mm-hmm. and they've got their find a professional map. That's pretty cool. And then I just start looking for somebody who's got SFMA and FMS and FCS and Y balance test. And when they have, and if people who don't know what I'm looking at, it'll be very self-explanatory when you see it. But if you find a clinician, in particular, a clinician who is so invested in learning movement, everything other than the SFMA is meant for the non-clinician. It's meant for the strength professional. Mm -hmm. But if, if you've got somebody who is so invested in understanding movement, the depth and breadth of their understanding of movement and sport is going to be so different than someone who doesn't have those things. Mm-hmm. 
And so I love looking for that. And I'm like, I don't know this guy from Adam, but I love his credentials and name and email address and phone number and all those things are right there on that website. So I use that when people are asking me, hey, do you know somebody in such and such location? My mom fell, she needs somebody or whatever it might be. Um, I use that website a lot. Um, And then the questions you can ask is like, hey, um, I get these, you know, especially now that I'm cash based and not uh, insurance based anymore. People kind of want to know, you know, what am I getting myself into and say, hey, I've got a I've got a, you know, the doc said I've got degenerative disc disease in my lumbar spine. Is that something you treat? I'm like every day. Yeah, it's it's a regular thing. Um, Well, so how would my therapy go? It's like, well, and so if they you can kind of ask them just how's the therapy going to go? And the person gives you some discussion about, we're going to look at you head to toe. We're going to see, you know, if you're 40 years old, but your back says your MRI of your back says you're 75. What is it about your body that's making your disc age prematurely? Because degenerative disc disease is a normal finding when you're older, not when you're your age. So, you know, did you have a trauma when you were younger that you didn't tell me about? Do you have hips that don't move well? Do you have a thoracic spine? That, you know, what are you doing that's making these happen? Because there's always a reason, right? And so um, I would say just ask some leading questions about how would my visit go with you? And if that person is talking about a lot of these whole body kinds of things and a lot of um, information about the level of detail with the examination process rather than, oh, you know what? We see that all the time. We put it on our laser and you're going to feel better. Or we put these sticky pads on your back or we do, you know, whatever. Um, I think that the person who you really want to pay for someone's thinking because the actual act of performing manual therapy is not that hard. Everybody's learned it, but knowing when to apply it is different. And so I just think I would ask them, you just kind of think about trying to get into the head of how do they think, how are they going to look at me as a person? How are they going to help me restore my functionality to the activities that are important to me that I can't do now? Um, and just see what those kinds of questions are. Um, certainly ask about their experience because there's, there's just no, there's, there's no exchange for that. Right. I, you know, I'm different now than I was when I had 10 years out, when I was 10 years out, I had a lot of experience, not compared to 30. Right. Yeah. And it's just different. Right. And you might be really bright, but if you only have five years of experience and you're maybe 28 years old, you don't even have life experience. Right. <laughs> you don't know what it's like to stay up all night with a kid and have to get up and exercise the next day with two hours sleep or to make the choice. Do I sleep for an hour? Or do I work out? Um, you know, there's there's just so many things that when you've lived some life, you can give more real world um, advice, I guess, for lack of better. I'm just so different about home exercises with people than I was before, because I understand what it's like to own a business and work 60 hours a week. I understand what it's like for the kids to keep you up all night, night after night. And, you know, you're just <laughs> dying. And, but yet you still have to show up and put a smile on your face at work, or you're still trying to do stuff. And so if I'm giving somebody home exercises and they kind of give that look on their face, I'm like, if this is more than what you're okay with, tell me, I don't, you're not going to hurt my feelings we together are working together to solve this problem. So we together have to do it. So if I'm giving you stuff in the back of your mind, you're going, there's no freaking way that's happening. Tell me now we'll modify because we'll get there eventually. Right. So I just think that um, finding a therapist is willing to work with you and meet you where you are. Uh, if you've only got five minutes a day to work on your rehab, then we're going to have a very good focus of our five minutes, whatever it might be. I think that's a great point. I, I love the, um, I love the provider locator stuff too. I, I do that often. I've used um, the FMS setup. I, I actually use Graston's uh, website and Active Releases website. Um, I'll often like cross-reference those folks and try to find somebody yeah. who, who will list like dry needling in their bio and then, you know, have, have a couple of cool initials after their name that that may be helpful as well when we're trying to find a good yeah. manual therapist remotely. You just got to do yep. your homework. And um, what drives me bonkers is when you actually go to the the website for the you know chiropractic office or the physical therapy clinic or whatever it is. And it's like, Dr. Johnson enjoys long walks on the beach with his wife and two dogs. And there's no, you know, there's no sub, there's no substance whatsoever. It drives me crazy. So yeah, it's kind of funny. I actually uh, spoke to a friend of mine who I think of is kind of, um, kind of like big brother for those sorts of topics. And he goes, Dan, uh, on your, your, bio here in your profile you don't say any you got you work with major league baseball you work with nfl you work with this you work with that he goes you need to put those logos there you need to put those names there people don't (laughs) understand what sfma is or whatever right and so uh 
it means something to me, but it's not about me. It's about the person reading it. It's the truth. And so it's <laughs> good to get that advice and have someone uh, slap some reality into you. I, I like initials. It, it gives me some insights. Um, <laughs> hey, what's your, what's been, obviously this is actually a good time. We're, we're talking on January 1st, but what's been your biggest growth area over the past year? What, what changed for you in 2023? Mm, good question. Um, I think empathy for the person in pain. Um, you know, kind of pain science stuff, mm -hmm. um, customer service stuff, you know, I've, I've, I've completely remade my business, you know, in Washington, I had three locations. I had lots of employees. We build insurance. Mm -hmm. Our clinics were busy places and now it's just me. And so, um, reading about, um, customer service and ways to be just truly remarkable for people to know, um, how much you focally care about them and trying to find ways to, to show and demonstrate that. Um, I always, even, I told this when, when I was in business in Seattle to my employees, we are never going to take second place in caring. So there's, there's no way around that, but just kind of learning more about that or reading more about that and trying to live that, um, mm -hmm. I think has probably been something as, as I've been working on, um, more. I love that. Um, and I know you're a progressive thinker and someone who's always trying to come up with ways to get better. Um, one of the reasons I always enjoy talking to you, um, what's rattling on your brain right now? You know, I joke, what's, what are you thinking about 3am as you, you stare, <laughs> stare off? I knew you asked me that question. I heard you ask my line. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I, there, there is a, a treatment technique that I've been exposed to. I've taken a couple online classes, but I haven't made it a regular part of daily life with me. And I think it needs to be, and that is the Aldoa method. Yeah. Um, so that's one of those things where, you know, I'm just going to have to uh, take the time and learn it better than I have so that I feel very comfortable using it. Cause right now I don't, I'll screw around on my own every once in a while, but um, I haven't had that to talk about tools. That's a tool that's just sitting right there in the garage and I haven't put it in the toolbox just yet. Uh, so I, I need to spend some time and, and hone that skill better. Um, I think that that's one that uh, is lingering there for this upcoming year is going to get uh, something that's going to be introduced. That's a good one. I took uh, one of their courses online as well. And I, I feel like I'm in the same uh, contemplative stage that you are in. So, <laughs> like, yeah, we should, we should, we should hold it. each other. We'll hold each other accountable. In well, you know, the funny thing is every time I talk to you, it's just like a, a conversation of confirmation bias all the time. <laughs> it's so much alike. Yeah. Um, but that, that how you said that is exactly how I feel. Yeah. And but uh, I think it's worthy of learning better and starting to introduce and figure out how to plug and play and where to put it um, in the best way. I like it. All right. Lightning round time. I know you've listened to the podcast. And you know what this is about. What's one book that every up and coming rehabilitation specialist, whether it's chiropractors, uh, physical therapists, athletic trainers, you name it, what, what should they read? You know, uh, I try to be prepared for that question and I'm going to dodge it like a good politician. There's too many. Um, mm -hmm. What I would say is that the book to read is just to keep reading. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that was very helpful to me also because of you um, that I met Luca Hosovar. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you have ever met anyone who reads more than Luca, but I don't <laughs> think I've met anybody who reads more than Luca. And, you know, you know that old saying, you know, you kind of become an amalgamation of the five people you spend the most time with. And um, one of the great ways of many ways that, that uh, Luca has uh, helped me is raising my standard of what I expect for myself with how much I read. Um, so I, I couldn't put one book there, but, you know, I would say, you know, if you haven't read anything by Dan John, I think Dan John does a great job of making complicated things sound simple, um, particularly as a clinician, because it's not meant for you to read. Um, it, and so for you to understand movement and exercise better, um, I think his work, Pavel's work, um, there's so much good there. Yours, um, your, your programs that you can buy. I think that's how I first, I don't know how I first came across you i think maybe somehow when the internet was new um <laughs> i learned what a blog was and uh read your stuff and i think became oh gosh what was one of your very early products i bought like magnificent mobility was like oh five that was that was a while back or maybe assessing correct with hartman and robertson some of it was those right after that because i bought yeah. that but that was a dvd yeah, yeah i know that's I was, that's anyway, how old whatever. i am um, but, uh, um, learned some, some really cool stuff there. And that's why I ended up going to Massachusetts yeah. to your very first yeah. internship thing that you had yeah. and learned a lot there. Um, I just think there's so many places that you can learn 
as a clinician in the strength and conditioning space that I think you'd be foolish not to go there. Um, I think um, setting the table by Danny Myers, yeah, great book. Um, the the book that Howard Schultz wrote, say what you want about Howard Schultz, killing the Sonics, kill me to kill the Sonics. But uh, <laughs> um, his book that he wrote long before that, uh, pour your heart into it. Um, long before that, there's a book um, called the Nordstrom way. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, when I had only had one location, I bought that for every one of my employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want you to read this and I want you to talk to me about it in two months. I'll give you two months to read it. We're talking about it after that. Um, those books get you thinking differently than someone's there to see, like you're there for them, Yeah, you know? And I think that, um, reading those books and having that influence of understanding, um, how to be a gracious host for lack of a better way of saying it when someone wants to come into your clinic and pay you money for your opinion um and your skills um i think those are some good things that that i i don't even remember how i ended up getting to read them but i did go givers another one along those lines all good stuff that i'm sure you've all read too um but i think books by you know mike boyles the the oh and um Oh, Alan Cosgrove's New Rules for Lifting back when that uh, yeah. the very first one, like those are really good books if you're not in the strength and condition. I mean, they're probably good books for anybody, but I thought for me as a clinician, yeah. they just started helping round my edges and help me understand stuff so much better and understand movement and exercise better than PT school prepared me for. Um, I just one of my favorite memes is that you may have seen where there's a some, you know, older gray haired lady in a pair of sweats and she's deadlifting 225 and and uh and she's standing there at the at the top of her deadlift and it says, what color TheraBand did you ask for me to use? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so just uh, learning things about exercise through the strength and conditioning world will help you as a clinician more than you think it will. I'll just awesome. leave it at that. I love that. If you could go back in time and give young Dan some advice 20 years ago when you were a young clinician, what would it be? Uh, I'd probably start... Um, well, I was going to have to... I wasn't a young clinician 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 30, 30. um uh, i i would say um learn you know my mom hi barb um my mom always taught me to be a sponge that was a term that she used all the time and what she meant is learn anything from anyone anywhere you can and um again in pt school that was not the culture and we were not so to speak raised or graduated um to think like that that you know, Thomas Myers wrote an incredibly impactful book. He's a massage therapist. Um, that book should be um, a textbook in every PT program. And probably now it is. But back then, a massage therapist teaching a PT something mm-hmm. um, that that was not what's the right. I don't know the right way to say it. It was just not something that you would expect anyone to tell you. Um, it was tremendous. And that guy's so smart. Um, and so I guess the, what I would tell the younger me is seek out information that can help you outside your own scope of practice. And, um, I, the sooner you do that, I think the more well-rounded and and the more you're going to learn and things you can apply because, you know, Danny Myers was a restaurateur in New York. How does that help me be a physical therapist in Seattle? But it did. And so, um, you know, one of the sayings in that book is moths go to the flame because of the war or they, the the light, but they stay because of the warm. And um, you know, that that's uh, that's a thing you can remember for your business. And, you know, the reality is it is a business. And no matter how good you are, if people don't want to spend time with you or they don't feel appreciated, they're probably going to look for somewhere else. And uh, I just think those kinds of things will go a long way. Perfect. Last but not least, we have a lot of kids and parents who listen to this podcast together. Um, one of the the real reasons we started this was not just to impart wisdom on how to advance in a baseball world, but also how to protect against downside. We wanted to make sure that we were working hard to keep these kids healthy. Um, so in, in that vein, if you could give one bit of advice to the kids and the parents, you know, about, you know, having a, a healthy, long, successful career, what would it be? Well, I think if, uh, if your kid pitches, um, get a pitch counter and don't trust the coaches. I know in little league, you have to, so little league has changed. Um, we were in little league before that started. So that, that rule came to be while my son was playing in little league. Um, but you know, once you get to be about eight or nine years old, um, the better players start going in playing in club teams. And now they're starting to play weekend tournaments and in the weekend tournament, everybody pitches, it's all hands on deck. And so, um, little league only knows about what little league knows about, and they don't know about the other pitches you threw on the weekend. And so, you as the parent have to advocate for your kid. Um, 
you know, I would say make sure that you let the the coaches know that you intend to play both if you intend to play both. Um, and let them, you know, if you're going to pitch for one and not the other, let them know that. But you're kind of screwing over the kid, the coach in that regard. If you're going to have a roster spot and tell them right off the bat, you're unwilling to. But um, I just think pay attention to that. Also remember that, you know, there's no scholarships given at 12 years old. It's 12 year old baseball is so fun. It's so intense. It's so cool. Um, it was a blast. It was a great time in my life. Um, but if you're willing to let your kid go past, um, you know, where he should pitch because of some tournament that you really want to win, um, the kid's screwed up arm is going to last longer than whatever trophy they get. Or, you know, a lot of times it was the T-shirt they got to wear and then the next <laughs> year he got replaced by the next T-shirt, you know. Um, but yeah, it 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 matters a lot, but it doesn't matter maybe as much as you think. And you got to think long term. Long-term athletic development has more to do with next year than this year. And just to be mindful of that, um, I would say enjoy lots of sports as long as you can, at least until you're maybe 15 years old. Maybe then if you if you decide you want to play baseball only, um, but you want to do something in the off-season, at least off-season train, um, but maybe not necessarily off-season hit and throw. I love it. Um, Dan, this is awesome. Where can folks learn more about you? Where can they find um, you? Yeah, my my office is t2wclinic.com. So I'm at uh, Train to Win uh, is the name. And uh, we named it that on purpose because we thought, you know, life is a full contact sport and uh, it's physically demanding and we're in it to win it. So we want to train to win. So we wanted to have that sort of training mindset in a rehab facility. So that's why we called it that. So the the Train to Win website was $10,000 to get that URL. So we are t2wclinic.com instead. I also have um, fixyourfunction.com where I've got a couple of, I've got a DIY shoulder uh, rehab um, thing there. And uh, and also some uh, exercises using just bands. If all you have is bands, here's how you can train your whole body head to toe on those. So um, either of those two places, social media, I'm at Dan Swinsco. And a very good follow on both uh, on both Instagram and on Twitter. So um, also you. some very good guest uh, posts that you've written for my website over the years. So folks can definitely check. Number those. one last year. Yeah, definitely. You, t- you took that? the top spot. Very nicely done. <laughs> um, hey, man, this was a blast. It, it's always good to catch up, but it was cool to thanks. share it with a larger happy audience to do today. It. So um, happy new year and thanks for taking the time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. We really appreciate you carving out some time in your schedule to listen, not just to this episode, but also to some of the episodes from our archives. If you enjoy what you heard, we'd love it if you'd share it with friends, colleagues, and teammates, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks again for your time.